Hello out there, science nerds. You're listening to Evolving with Mr. V, a weekly podcast that covers the week that was in AP Dual Credit Biology and much more. I'm your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your Master of the Biological Arts, and this is officially Episode 2, Week 2 of Season 2 of the 2020-2021 school year. That's right, triple deuces, jackpots. In this week's podcast, we will recap the week of August 24th through August 28th our second week of virtual distance learning. In this week's second segment, I'll give you an update on Johnson High School's phase one and beyond of students coming back to school. So not exactly biology news in the world, but some Johnson news about school opening up to students, or at least some students coming back in what I'm calling phase one. Really? I don't get it. And in our final segment, revisit Mr. V's mailbag, where I'll answer some listeners' questions from our mailbag and what I'm calling Mr. V answers your questions, or at least tries to. Now, before we begin our podcast, we need to hear from our sponsor in a segment I call Mr. V Needs a New Pair of Shoes. This episode is brought to you by Trace Elements. Hey, are you feeling fatigued? You know, feeling like you're lacking energy and just tired all the time? Or do your thyroid glands feel swollen? Does your neck look like you swallowed a balloon or a football? If so, then get some Trace Elements. That's right. Get yourself some trace elements like iron and iodine and avoid that fatigue or swollen neck and start living life to its fullest with proper social distancing, of course. Yes, trace elements, which you only need minute amounts of like 0.001%, will cure you from that anemia and prevent you from getting a goiter. So next time you're at your local grocery store, don't forget to pick up some trace elements. Trace elements can be found in red meat, leafy greens, beans, and iodized salt. Side effects may include awesome sauce, flatulence, high blood pressure, and a bad case of treat yourself. And we're back. And thanks once again, Trace Elements, for sponsoring this episode. But let's now go ahead and hit that rewind button and recap the week that was in AP Dual Credit Biology. So for this week's recap content or concept of the week, I'm going to focus on bonding. Yes, bonding, which occurs when an atom's valence shell, the outermost shell, is incomplete, which makes it chemically reactive and open to bonding. So the first bond we're going to discuss are covalent bonds, which is all about sharing, the sharing of electrons between atoms. So that's your key thing to remember. They are sharing electrons. Now, this is the strongest of the bonds that we're going to talk about and tend to be the most common between inorganic molecules like water and organic molecules like lipids, sugars, proteins, and nucleic acids. So covalent, once again, is all about sharing, but how they share those electrons will determine if it's a nonpolar covalent bond or a polar covalent bond. So first, let's look at nonpolar covalent bonds, which share electrons equally. That's the key thing. They share electrons equally. Now, atoms of the same element with covalent bonds are always going to be nonpolar covalent bonds. 
Now, the reason for that is because both of those atoms have the exact same electronegativity. Now, what is electronegativity? It is the tendency of an atom to attract shared electrons or how much it pulls those shared electrons closer to its own nucleus. So it's pretty much being how much of an electron hog that atom is going to be for shared electrons. So when it comes to nonpolar covalent bonds, these are atoms that have the same electronegativity or very similar that they share the electrons equally. They pull the electrons equally to each other's nucleus. Now, when it comes to polar covalent bonds, they share electrons unequally due to one of the atoms in the bonding having stronger electronegativity than the other. So one of the atoms will pull the electrons closer to its own nucleus. So the electrons spend more time around the stronger electronegative atom, which ends up giving that molecule opposite charges on opposite sides. Now, in biology, there's pretty much one atom that we're going to continue to talk about throughout the semester that has huge electronegativity. That's a huge electron hog, and that's going to be oxygen. So let's look at an example. Let's look at water. Now, when it comes to water, you have those two hydrogens that share their one electron with oxygen. But oxygen has huge electronegativity that it pulls those electrons closer to its own nucleus, giving it a partial negative charge because those electrons have a negative charge on them. The hydrogens, it's almost like that electron doesn't spend any time around its own nucleus. So they end up getting a partial positive charge because it's really like they only have that one proton in their nucleus. So opposite charges on opposite sides because it's a polar molecule. It has a polar covalent bond holding them together. So to summarize, covalent bonds share electrons. If they share them equally, non-polar covalent bond. If they share them unequally, it is a polar covalent bond. But now let's look at another type of bond, also a strong bond, not as strong as covalent, but ionic bonds. Now ionic bonds are once again also strong bonds, but there's no sharing of electrons here. One atom just transfers an electron to another atom to fulfill their outermost, their valence shell. Now the atom that ends up having a positive charge, we call it cation. And the one that has a negative charge, we refer to as an anion. So what happens, the ionic bonds form between these oppositely charged atoms because, well, opposites attract. They attract and they form that very strong ionic bond. Now, another type of bond that we discuss is the hydrogen bond, a weak bond compared to covalent or ionic. Now, this is when a hydrogen atom is already covalently bonded to a strong electronegative atom, let's say oxygen when forming water. Now, that hydrogen will have a partial positive charge due to that polar covalent bond, but it could still be attracted to another electronegative oxygen of another nearby water molecule, forming a hydrogen bond. Now, hydrogen bonds individually are weak and break pretty easily, but in large numbers, they could actually be pretty strong. Now, we will take more time to talk about hydrogen bonds in our next chapter, chapter three, when we focus on just water and what I call water is beast. 
Now, our last bond that we discuss is the weakest of all the bonds known as Van der Waals interactions. Now, these are bonds or interactions that occur when atoms are really close to each other and then only last for a couple of milliseconds. Actually, Van der Waals interactions are partially responsible in helping geckos walk on walls on vertical surfaces because while they're pretty weak, but in huge numbers, they actually are going to be pretty strong, almost very similar to like hydrogen bonds. So that's our content of the week recap. So just to summarize the strength of these bonds that we just discussed, the strongest would be covalent, followed by ionic, then hydrogen, and the weakest of them being van der Waals interactions. And that pretty much brings us to an end to the week that was in AP Dual Credit Biology. This just in from the E211 newsroom. An Easter egg for the upcoming quiz has just been dropped. Here's your Easter egg. Make sure to be able to identify electron configuration of our essential elements of life. So also good thing to remember is the 288 rule, which is once again, two electrons max on the first shell, eight electrons max on the second, and eight electrons on the third as well. Also, it wouldn't hurt to check out episode one, week one of the podcast and know which shows movies Mr. V ranked in his top five summer list. And finally, make sure you check out Biology in the News in episode one and check out that story that made some waves in the science world. That concludes our Easter egg drop. And now for our second segment, not biology in the news, but Johnson School opening in the news, where I'll share the latest news about the opening of face-to-face -face instruction, question mark, question mark, question mark, at Johnson High School. So as you probably knew, or maybe not, Johnson will be opening to students in phases, with phase one starting September 8th, right around the corner, right after Labor Day. So let's look at what phase one will be like. So here are the details for phase one. Once again, starting September 8th, they're going to allow for about five students in every classroom, which means there's going to be about 600 to 700 students on campus. Now, the students in the classroom will not be moving from one class to another. They're going to be staying in the same spot, the same classroom for pretty much throughout the entire day. Now, students will report to their classroom assigned each day and do their lessons virtually from their own device, their own laptop or their own iPad or tablet, and each student will have to wear a headset or earbuds for sound. Students will also have to be spread out at least a minimum of six feet apart and as far away from the teacher desk, their Zoom setup as possible. Because remember, the teacher's still going to be teaching virtually while you're still doing your virtual lessons as well, which uh, I think that's going to be weird, kind of like hearing your teacher on a Zoom and you're possibly in that classroom seeing your teacher but in the screen but also live it's going to be a little bit awkward now they're placing these group of five students 
in what they're calling pods for Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Tuesday, Thursday, where the pod will all have the same lunch, either lunch A, B, or C. And it's going to be usually the same lunch also as the teacher of the room they're going to be in. Now, when it does come time for lunch, this will be the one time that you'll be out of the classroom. You guys will be eating lunch in the cafeteria and, of course, practicing social distancing. Right after lunch, you will be reporting right back to the same classroom. Now, if students do arrive before 10 a.m., before their first class, they could start going to their assigned classroom as early as 9 o'clock from 9 to 9.50. And then even after our last period, students can stay in that classroom till about 4.15, 4.30. Now, breakfast will be served at 9 a.m. It's going to be in the courtyard. It's going to be kind of like a grab-and-go situation. Now, as far as masks goes, students will be advised to wear them where they cannot practice social distancing. If students can be kept apart more than six to eight feet, then a mask might not be necessary, but it is encouraged that students wear their masks. Now, when social distancing can't be met, a mask will be required for students to wear. So those are the details for phase one, which makes me wonder, I mean, is there really any incentive for a student to actually go to school? I mean, I feel like if students go, you're going to be trapped pretty much in a single classroom all day long doing your virtual learning. It's like, would you rather do your virtual learning at school? Well, maybe. I mean, we do have pretty good Wi-Fi, but then it's like if you're at home, you know, you could grab a snack, you could walk around, uh, you could go to the restroom pretty easily, the comfortability of using your own restroom. Uh, so I don't know. I wonder if it's even an incentive for students to come to school if they're actually just going to be pretty much trapped all day in a single classroom except for that single lunch period. Now, when it comes to the other phases, we don't have we don't have a lot of details on them yet, but phase two could start a few weeks after phase one if it's deemed safe. Uh, it could be longer than that. And when phase two starts, they're going to start allowing 10 students in a classroom, but it's still going to be the same thing as phase one, virtual learning. You're going to be in that classroom all day long, no face-to-face instruction. It's still just going to be virtually on your own device. Then phase three can start a few weeks after phase one or two, depending on how successful we are on keeping COVID numbers really low. Uh, it could take longer and they're going to try to get the numbers up to about 15 students per classroom. Now at phase three, students are going to be moving through their class schedule. So now this is finally when we start getting that face-to-face instruction, moving through your schedule, seeing each one of your teachers. So we would have students learning virtually, but also in person at this point. And then phase four is the same, but up to 20 students per classroom. And then phase five, that would be pretty much normal school if we even get to that point in this 2020-2021 school year. So there you go, folks, the details of phase one and beyond of Johnson opening its doors to students again. I'm sure now it makes perfect sense. And that, folks, was Johnson in the news. And now for our final segment, Mr. V's Mailbag, where I'll answer some listeners' questions or feedback sent via email or message on Instagram or Google Classroom. You've got mail. So our first listener email question feedback comes from username Aliens Are Out There. And this person, or alien, 
ask, Hey, Mr. V, love the podcast, but I was wondering, what's your favorite color? Well, thanks for the love, aliens are out there. And to answer your question, my favorite color is gray and burnt orange. Well, I think we have time for one more email message, and this comes from TikTok Master 2020, and it reads, Hey, Mr. V, big fan of the podcast, but what's up with all the dinosaurs I see in your room? Well, thanks for the kind words about the podcast, TikTok Master 2020. And what's up with the dinosaurs in the room? Well, I'll tell you what's up. They're awesome, and they're beasts, and they're just savage. Well, that's it for Mr. V's Mailbag. Hey, do you have a question or feedback about biology or anything in the universe? Well, send over an email or voice message on an email to ovelas at nisd.net. And it just might be on the next podcast. Now, before we end the show, a couple of reminders. First, quiz on Monday over basic chemistry and experimental design. Make sure you review your notes. Make sure you check out that textbook online that I put on the Google Classroom stream. Uh, Make sure you check that out from OpenStax. Two, make sure you complete your experimental variables and controls practice worksheet. That's going to be due on Monday by midnight for A day and Tuesday midnight for B day. And then third, hey, do you need some help? Well, visit me during tutoring hours. Check your Google Classroom for Zoom link and times. Now, one last note, and I don't really want to end the podcast on a downer, but I would be remiss if I didn't give my respect and condolences to Chadwick Boseman and his family. As you probably heard, Chadwick Boseman, who most of you know as King T'Challa from Black Panther, you know, the Black Panther, passed away on Friday after a four-year battle with colon cancer. I want to give a short moment of silence and a salute as a remembrance to a great actor and a a great human being. So rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, and Wakanda forever. Well, that's it for episode two, week two of season two of Evolving with Mr. V. I hope you found this podcast informative and somewhat entertaining. I want to thank Free Music Archive, Sound Bible, and Zapsplat for the music and sound effects on the podcast. This podcast was written, produced, and recorded by Entertainment 720, a Velasquez production company. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast on your podcast listening platform. Also, make Make sure to follow the Evolving with Mr. V Instagram page, keeping you informed of all things AP Dual Credit Biology. Well, this is your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, signing off and reminding you to please, please, for your professor's sake, study for your quiz. Some still so I could see